0: Father in Heaven, we thank You for the mothers that You have given us. God, for those of us who still have a a mother here on this earth, we give You a special praise. Lord, we thank You for the characteristic traits that have been taught to us. We thank You for the wisdom that has been imparted. We thank You for the love that has been given. Lord, even if our relationship is Not what it should be. Not what we desire, God. We want to thank You anyway for those who might not be able to say that, for those who it might be painful. Lord, for just a moment we say thank You. We recognize You are the God of the universe and that You don't make mistakes. And that life has been given to us as a gift, granted uh, through the instrument of our mothers. And so we just give You praise. We recognize You as the great... God of the universe. Lord, we ask that this morning that you would open up our hearts and allow us to hear from you. And may your name be praised. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, I am honored to introduce you, Dr. Jackie Reese, who will be speaking. Uh, Most of you know on uh, Mother's Day, I always uh, try to bring in an expert because I'm not one. And um, uh, if... You have had the opportunity to hear Jackie. Then you've been blessed before. She speaks uh, nationally, and uh, is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, and of Gordon Conwell. So we're so thankful to have her. Before she comes, uh, I want to read possibly the most famous passage uh, on women, on mothers, on wives, and it's found in Proverbs chapter thirty-one. And uh, I will begin here in verse 27. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gates. Dr. Reese. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Good morning. Um, you can talk back to me. I'm, I enjoy like a conversation with you all. So. Um, I kind of feel like I know we've already said yay to moms, but I feel like we need to do it one more time. I think we need to do a whoop to all the moms in the room. That means all of you who have mothered your own children, and those of you who have mothered other people's children. And you know who you are. So let's give them a whoop, because they deserve it. I I was going to say that was pretty lame at first, but you you caught up, so we're good. Well, I am a mother of three. Um, I have a son named Hunter, who is 21. I have a son named Hampton, who is 20. And I have a daughter named Madison, who is 18. So if you just calculated that, that was a nutty error in my life. And I do mean error, right? Like, yeah. I'm going to tell a couple stories about my middle son. He knows that I tell these stories. He will be here. I'm thinking he's 20. He won't be here till the next service. Um, But he is aware. He is, uh, well, here's the picture. Dennis the Menace on Caffeine. A lot of caffeine. You got it? Uh He is a gifted child. He has a very high IQ. I don't know why we're working so hard to have gifted children. Do you know that gifted children are troubled? We just need above average. Just above average is really good. So he's a gifted child. He um, is an otter. Loves to play. Can't even imagine working. I mean, it's just all play, play, play. Very charismatic and an excellent leader, except he doesn't always lead in the right direction. And he's naughty. Very naughty. And people would say to me when I would put that out there now that he's 20, like, oh, it's just the teenagers. No, no, no. Been this way since he was four. I mean, he is a hard, hard child to raise. Does anybody have one of those in the room? And if they're with you, you may not want to say it. Yeah. I remember reading all of the books. Right? The only problem is they don't read the book. So it's not very helpful. But I read all the books and I got to Dobson when he talked about raising boys, you know, and how to do this. I just threw that book up against the wall and said, alrighty, who's gonna write one when you've done all that and none of that works? Right? Have you, have you ever reached that point where, you're like, the experts, you know, you've read them all, you've bought it all, you've said it all, and you're like, okay, what now? no seriously have we ever been there what now right we all have times like that where um we've tried everything we can and it's not working it's not it's not it's not helping and we ask the question okay what now and and i think um that's where jesus has the disciples in the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning in mark chapter 6 It's the feeding of the 5,000, and I know you've heard the story before, but um, I think we're going to see a little bit of a new angle at it this morning. It's Mark chapter 6, and what happens in verse 30, Jesus and the disciples are tired. They've been ministering all day and all week, and they're exhausted. They they decide to go on a little bit of a vacation, get in a boat, go across the the lake, and they get to the other side. They think they're going to have a couple days off, but no, when they get there, there's a huge crowd waiting to be ministered to. And Jesus has compassion on them. And he starts to teach them all day long. And then we pick up in verse 33. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can get go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said to them, You feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go out and find it. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups. Take note of that. We're going to come back to that. They sat down in groups of 50 and 100 And Jesus took the loaves, and the the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples. I'm emphasizing on purpose. You're picking it up, okay? So they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. I think that was probably gross. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up twelve baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of five thousand men and their families were fed with these, from these loaves. So we have the reading of the word of, of the feeding of the five thousand. And basically, you know, we've got this, this problem because there's no McDonald's. And and the disciples do this thing where they come to God himself and inform him, just in case he doesn't know, that um, the people are hungry and are going to have to be fed and there's no way to help them. And I think that's kind of funny. And, and Jesus looks at him and goes, well, you feed them. And in the parallel gospel, we have Philip, one of the disciples. He usually manages the money. He He's calculating how much money they've got. And you know how we look for extra change in our couch and, and, and I'm thinking they're going to the boat and well, maybe we dropped a few coins and they're calculating and he comes up with, gather all together, they got 200 denarii. Now that's about an eight months, um, worth of work and, and he says, well, this is something, but it's not going to be enough to feed everybody here. Now I picture Jesus watching this kind of chuckling, right? Cause you can see him scurrying around trying to figure out how they're going to get this done and he's just waiting waiting, and they come back, and they shrug their shoulders, and they say, oh, well, I mean, we've got a little bit, but it's not enough, he says, okay, no problem, go out in the crowd and see what they have, so they go out, and, and there's this little boy that has five loaves and, and two fish, now, that's something, right, but is it enough, okay, whew. <sighs> I mean, I, I just started, you can't possibly be sleeping, sleeping that fast, Is it enough? No, because we know the text tells us there's 5,000 men. It doesn't tell us how many women or children most people in that culture were married. Let's say half of them are. We'll give them credit, half. We're up to 7,500. I'm not even going to count the children. There's probably about 10,000 people there. Okay, you get the picture. Now, Now, five loaves and two fish is something, but it's not enough to care for all of these people. So they come back to Jesus, and you can kind of see him go, okay. Like I got a little bit of money in my pocket, and I got this, this two fish and five loaves, and, and it's just, it's not going to cut it, Jesus. Ever been there? Ever felt like the disciples? Maybe you're in a situation right now where you just don't have a clue how you're going to fix it. Like you have run around and collected all the coins and you have put all your resources together and it's just not going to cut it. Maybe it's raising a toddler or a teenager or your prodigal, or maybe it's that you're in an emotional state and it's got you trapped and you just keep trying to get out and you just, you can't, just don't have enough. Or or maybe it's taking care of your aging parents or your finances or your marriage. Regardless, we have done everything we can. We have scoured the crowd. And all we have is five loaves and two fish. And it's just not going to cut it. That's where the disciples are. And that's where we are many times. And it's there that Jesus gives this magnificent visual lesson. I want you to remember that we read the scriptures, but they weren't reading it. They were seeing it and touching it and smelling it. It's a physical demonstration he does here. And yes, what he's communicating is, I can multiply what little you have and make it enough. And that's how we always teach this text. But we miss one tiny thing that's actually quite important here. And that's what I want to emphasize this morning, and it starts in verse 39 where we read that word group. Remember I said pay attention to the word group, right? One woman said, yes, she remembers and paid attention. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Right, group. Now, Now this word group is implying a certain way to organize the people. And it, it's, it's this way that the Romans used to sit at the table and the Jewish kind of mimicked it and, and we're gonna put it up here. Here it is, my son, my oldest son's a tech guy, but obviously not an artist. And it, it looks like a goal post, right men? It looks like a football goal. Just say yes and humor me, like yes. So, and, and the little dots are people. And, and they're in groups of what? 50 to 100, that's right. So we got those little people, those are the dots, all around the goal post. And the servant comes in the inside and feeds them. Okay, so they're facing, so you got the picture, right? And there's 50s and 100s sitting together. That's right. All right. Now, how many people were there? About 10,000. I'm going to say 75 just because I don't want to be heretical and find out that I didn't have that exactly right. Numbers are not my forte. So, let's say 7,500. How many people in this room? Alright, let's go with four (laughs) hundred. You've obviously missed the people right over there. Four hundred. Okay, there's four hundred, let's say. Seven thousand five hundred. See yourselves sitting in little groups of fifty to a hundred. How far out is this crowd now going in this church? Are we out to the parking lot? Beyond the parking lot? Okay, you got the picture, right? Okay, now, we've got to re- this is important. And we've got Jesus, where is he? In the front, very good answer. Um, he's there. And, and then where are the 12 disciples? Serving, right? Okay, and the text tells us they have these baskets. You don't know this, but it's, it's, a, it's a Greek word that lets us know they're tiny baskets that would be owned by poor people. That's significant. These are people in need. Right? So they're not big baskets. Okay. So what are they doing? They're serving, right? They have to go over here and, and serve this little gold post people. And how long is that basket going to stay full? Not very long. What do they have to do? Come on. They have to go back to who? Right? And then they go back over here to this little group. And now what do they got to do? Come on. I'm going to get tired. And then all the way out to the parking lot and, okay? So here's my question. Who's actually seeing the miracle? Is it the guy out in the parking lot that is 7,439th person? No. Because they're in these little groups, right? What are they doing in these little groups? Yes. And 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 there are women in the group. So what are they doing too? They are talking. they talk about all kinds of fun things. And so they're socializing. So that guy way back there in the place, not noticing. Number 3,459, can't see, not noticing. Number 231, not noticing. Who sees the miracle? The disciples. Yes. Why? Why did Jesus want them to see this? Now, mind you, not only did they see it, they felt it. I mean, their legs are tired. They have Experienced it visually and physically what is he trying to tell them he says you feed them and what he's saying is those people i've put in your care employees children aging parents neighbors in need if you are going to feed them you've got to come to me to get the bread if you're going to take care of those i've put in your responsibility to take care of, you're gonna to have to come back to me to get the bread. This is what he's letting them and us know. This is important. We forget it. We think he's gonna multiply, but we forget we gotta to go to Jesus. I um this little Dennis the Menace son that I have. When he was in fourth grade, he came bursting through the door because that is the only way that child knows how to walk through a front door. And, Mom, Mom, you're going to get a phone call from Tommy's mom. (laughs) Great. Why am I going to get a phone call from Tommy's mom? Well, he proceeded to tell me. I knew that Tommy had been picking on Hampton, and Hampton had decided he'd had enough, and so there's something right to that, right? But the night before... Uh, my husband had sat at the table, Pastor Steve husband, and talked to my children about how when he was younger, he would take a rubber band and attack. Do not do this at home, children. And and they would shoot him at each other in school. And so Hampton had this in his mind. It was very fun when I had to go to the principal and they said, now, where did he come up with that? Oh, Pastor Steve's husband taught him, yes. Um, so when... School got over, he went to his teacher's desk, and he took a rubber band and took a tack, and he went behind Tommy on the way home and got him in the leg. That's why I was getting a phone call from Tommy's mom. Now, it happened to be the season of Thanksgiving. So for those of, of us moms who've had to go up to school to give the sliced turkey, that slimy slices that we buy or cranberry, you know. Well, I was assigned to bring some food for Thanksgiving meal at the 4th grade. And I go up to the 4th grade level and there is a buzz going on. And the buzz that's going on is about Hampton and the tack. And it wasn't said, but there was this unspoken pressure about how these parents expected me to parent my son. Do you know what I'm talking about, moms? Anybody in here ever had that? unspoken pressure. They wanted me to beat this child. And I have to be honest, there was a part of me that wanted to agree with them. But I had learned, because Hampton was so difficult, that God was going to have to parent Hampton. Not me. Not these people. Not books about parenting. God himself would have to raise my son. I mean, after all, he is his boy. Have you ever... He's your responsibility, Jesus. I have said that a time or two. So I came home and I thought, okay, I just need to hear from you, Lord, what you want me to do about this situation. So I started to pray and I said, Lord, fundamentally, what's the character flaw here? What's the character issue that's going to cause him to falter and not accomplish what you have for him? And while I was praying, this word judgment kind of floated around. I had no idea what they had to do with it, but I've learned to just write things down and move on. A couple hours later, I call a friend of mine who's older and has older boys, and she's wise. You know, this proverb says, when you go to war, seek many wise counselors. And many times, we mothers are at war. And so I called her and I said, what do you think is the fundamental problem here? And she said, oh, I think that Hampton tried to um, take justice into his own hands. He, he tried to, he was going for revenge. So I had judgment and justice and revenge, and I'm like, okay, okay. And so then I get home a couple days later, and I, I, I'm combing through the scriptures. I, I normally read systematically, not that I have any preference or why, or I'm not, not that smart. But I, I kind of was in Romans, and I, and I had stopped on Romans chapter 12. So it's been a couple days, and I'm still waiting. By the way, I've told my children many times, um, I am going to discipline you. I'm just waiting for Jesus to tell me what that looks like, and I will get back to you. And I'm not kidding. It can it can be a couple days. I'm not in a hurry. I will wait till Jesus tells me. So a couple days later, here's where I happen to be in the text. Never pay evil back with more evil. Do such do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear Hampton, never take revenge. It says dear friends, but I think it meant to say dear Hampton. leave Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge and I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, Hampton, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And there it was. Right there. What Jesus wanted me to give to my son. There was the bread. Here's how we're going to take care of the one that I have given you to take care of. See, we go to everyone else, don't we? We know we're supposed to go to Jesus. I mean, this is not a new, novel thing. I'm telling you now. We hear, you know, go to Jesus. Have you talked to Jesus? Go to Jesus. But the truth is, we don't always go to Him first. I mean, I've been known to go to the grocery man first, or my hairstylist. I'm not kidding. I'm trying to figure out where to send my kids to school. What do you think? My hair cutter, who's not a believer. Where do you think? Christian school, public school, homeschool. What do you think? You know, grocery man. I'm walking out to my car. What do you think? I'm thinking about this. You know. I mean, we will read every Christian author, buy everything that we can. We do everything but go to Jesus. And those things, all those things, wise advice and Christian books and all that stuff, there's a place for that. Hear me, I'm not saying there isn't. They just shouldn't replace Jesus ever, ever. And every once in a while, Jesus will let us get to the end of ourselves, one way or the other. Because he wants to remind us, come to me. Come to me. I'm the one you need. I have the way. I'm your comfort. I'm your peace. See, he is what we need in order to feed those he's given us to care for. And we forget this, right? So did the disciples. I mean, it's interesting. This is chapter 6, and in chapter 8, he's doing a redo of this whole demonstration where they have to feed 4,000 back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He reminds them over and over again, because we forget. And here Hampton was in fourth grade, and I, I knew that. I went to Jesus, but I forgot by the time he was 14. And I needed some serious reminding. And, oh, I got it when the basket was just totally empty, and there was no place else to go. Hampton was 14 years old, got in trouble at school, and we knew that we were going to have to take him out of public school and send him away to school at 14 years old. We had no idea yet what we were going to do or how to do it, but we knew he was going to have to live away from home, the most painful thing I've ever encountered. And I remember thinking, okay, I need Jesus to tell me exactly what school he's supposed to go to. I mean, I was expecting Jesus to give me, like, okay, he's to go to the school in New York. I'm from there, so that's why I came that came first. Plus, they have the best schools. But anyway, that's just not even the point of the whole message, so I've gotten sidetracked. And I, 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 I thought for sure he'd tell me exactly what to do. And so it just so happened at this very same time that we knew something was going to have to change. My husband and I went out to a pastor's conference out in California, and all the biggies were there. There was uh, John Orkberg and Eugene Peterson and Ann Graham Lotz. I mean, all the biggies were up on the stage preaching. And I was sure that God was going to tell me through them, speaking of the word, exactly where I was supposed to send Hampton. And I heard John or Can you ever do this? I'm sitting there the whole time just thinking, okay, come on, give me a word. Give me a word. Nothing. I mean nothing. Surely Eugene Peterson, he gets up there and give me a word. Come on. Nothing. And Graham Watts, wouldn't you know, he'd pick a woman to tell me what he wanted to say. And she opened up to Isaiah chapter 6, right, where the prophet Isaiah is swooshed up into a vision in the holies of holies, and she starts describing this passage that I have taught many times, and while she's talking funk, there it is. There it is. It wasn't a particular school, but here is what he said to me. Here was the bread I needed. She said, some of you, and I can't do her southern accent, but just try to picture it. Some of you, your life is chaos. It is swirling around you and things are out of control. And you need to be reminded that just because your life is out of control, God is still on his throne. And it is not out of control for him. There I was. It wasn't the bread I thought I was going to get, but it was exactly what I needed. It turned out that um, that following August, we dropped him off at a military school in Virginia, a long ways away, 14 years old. This part he won't like, but he's tiny. He's a wrestler, just a little tiny thing, 14, and there were huge football players there. And when we dropped him off, he was standing there in his military stuff next to this huge football player, and I bawled. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Have you ever felt like you've been hit with a baseball bat in the gut and you can't breathe? That is exactly where I was for months. I felt depressed. I cried all the time. I was a mess. And every single night, I walked past his bedroom to go to my bedroom, and I wondered, is he okay? I mean, he is at an all-boys school. You know what I mean. And it just so happened that at that very same time that I was an absolute mess and had absolutely nothing left, I was in charge of teaching a huge women's Bible study of 800 women. And I was supposed to care for those women and feed those women. That was my job. And I remember sitting with a Dallas Theological Seminary prof and saying to him, I am scared to death because I've got nothing. I got nothing in me to give. You ever been there? And he reminded me of Mark chapter 6. He said, Jackie, come on. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. I know you got just a little bit. I didn't even have two fish. I think I had the fish's eyeball. And a crumb. And he said, come on, go to Jesus. He'll take care of you. He's got what you need. And so every single morning, I had to visualize myself literally going to Jesus, looking in the basket, seeing the provision. And every single morning I would trust that he would provide, and every single day he did. I can't tell you how it happened, because it's a miracle, right? It's a mystery. I wonder if some of you need to be reminded this morning to go to Jesus. I wonder if you've been going everywhere else scouring the crowd, looking underneath the couch for a few coins. And the truth is, you've got nothing. It just isn't going to cut it. And might I suggest to you, Jesus is standing here, and he's saying to you, come to me. Literally close your eyes and walk up to him. Look at him. See his provision. Hear him speak to you. Trust he will give you what you need. Because the one thing I know is every single time I have remembered and every single time I have gone to Jesus, he has given me exactly what I needed. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we confess to you, we are the last, you are the last choice for us. We will go everywhere and anywhere and be self-sufficient. And sometimes, Lord, you let us just get empty to remind us that we desperately need you. Especially, Lord, if we are going to care for those people you have given us to care for. Lord Jesus, some of us in this room right now are on empty. I pray that you would give them a moment this morning and throughout the day to come to you and that you would speak and that your very presence would fill them and they would have everything they need to get through this day. And we will give you all of the credit for it is Jesus Christ, our Savior's reputation, that we expect you to do these things. And all of God's people said, Amen.